We hope for many things. In fact, often I find myself closing my eyes and dreaming about the way I wish things would be. When you look around, there are a lot of things that you'd like to change. You'd like for them to be different. If someone were to come and offer me the chance to have a wish fulfilled, when I was younger, I'd probably think of something fun or something I'd like to do or some place I'd like to go or something I'd like to be. Nowadays, I probably think of someone who's sick and needs to be well or someone who's in financial hardship that needs to have some relief. But it's sort of a dream world to imagine being like Aladdin's lamp and finding that, having a genie say, what do you wish or what do you want? If someone asked you that question, and I know this is a bit of stretching our imagination, someone asked you, if you could wish for anything in the world, what would it be? And I think your answer would tell you something about what's going on inside your life. It would tell us all something about what you value, what you hope, hope for, what is important to you. But you say that's all imagination, that's all make-believe. But we have a real-life story in the Scriptures of this very thing happening. And we find it with the King Solomon. You may remember that name, the son of David, who was the most wealthy, most famous, most powerful king in all the earth, who was known for his wisdom. But when he was going to become king, God came to him, and this, this is right out of the scripture, and he says to him, what can I do for you? And when God asks you that question, you start to think, well, God can't do anything. He knows everything. He has no limitation. If, if you were to ask me that, I, I certainly have limitations. Or you, someone says, what do you need? You, you look at them and you think, well, you can't, you can't begin to even understand what I need or to be able to fulfill it. But God is the one who said to Solomon, who's now going to become king, he's following his father David, and he says, what can I do for you? What can I give to you? Now, typically, a king would ask for great wealth or great power, but this is not what Solomon asked for. And when you think back to a little bit of this, when, and this is found in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, when he, he says, what shall I give to you? Probably Solomon would remember from the teaching of the Old Testament what God had warned kings about. And I want to read this because I think our, our natural inclination to have whatever we want or whatever we wish for or for things to change can be very self-centered. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 17. It says, when you enter the land of the Lord your God that he is giving to you and take possession of it, live in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You are to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself. 
so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. Now, there's a warning, and he warns against horses, acquiring horses, because that was a symbol of power. And we, we call that the pride. And in fact, it would be a man's business or the, the arm of the flesh is horses. He also warns him about acquiring many wives. Now, we would say, well, duh, you don't do that. In our culture, we don't. But in that day and time, there, were, there was plurality uh, in marriage, and uh, it was more customary. It was never approved by God. God was never in on that, but kings did that. And they would do it in a political sense, said, marry this, this other king's daughter, this other king's daughter. And they warned against that because what it would do would, would turn your heart to foreign gods and to other ways. And that would be a real danger for them. And, and so he's warned about the horses. He's warned about, warned about uh, marrying many women. And then also about... Uh, just gold and silver and trying to accumulate that. Well, what really happened was this, this question comes, and we're very encouraged by the response that Solomon gives. He asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom. He says, I'm a young man, and this is in 1 Kings 3. He said, I, I need wisdom. And, I, and I'm thinking, applauding this, because this is tremendous. Here you have a young man who has an incredibly great, request, rather than requesting all the things that we would normally think a king would ask for, he's asked for wisdom. And he did become the wisest man on earth. And the Bible says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. And he said, so I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you in every way. Now, it is not wrong to desire, to have desires for strength or a desire for pleasure or a desire for having things. God says, I've given you all things richly to enjoy on this earth. He's given us marriage to enjoy the pleasures of the flesh. He has given us the strength and, and the ability to be able to do things. And it's not wrong to desire those things, but all of those can become distorted. In fact, that's what we find in Genesis chapter 3, we also find in the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4 that the temptation that comes is to pervert the good things that God would want you to have. So a little follow-up. What happens to Solomon? Solomon becomes the wisest man on all the earth. And we know that. He's known for wisdom. He wrote the book of Proverbs, or most of the book of Proverbs. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and his fame was throughout the, the entire earth. Here's what happened. He ended up marrying 700 women. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, which is a, a type of a, a wife, a secondary type of a wife. And you think, what did that do to his heart? Well, the warning was there, and it did exactly that. It, it stole his heart away from worshiping God to worshiping the gods of his wives. The lust of the flesh. What about prosperity? It says that each year he would take in 666 talents of gold. That's just a commodity of gold. 
which would amount to well over a billion dollars today. But he had so many other things coming in. So he had all of these wives. He had all of this gold and riches and wealth and power. He was the most powerful king on earth. In fact, during his entire reign of 40 years, there was peace that whole time. 40,000 stalls for his horses. Can you imagine that? 40,000 horses. And it wasn't just that he had those horses to take care of, but it was an expression of his might. So this man gets puffed up in pride because of his might. He gets pulled in on pleasure that has been perverted and distorted, and the glitter of gold is started to take him in. And what it does is it destroys Solomon's life. You come to the end of his life, and he is not a happy man. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. He says, I've seen all the things under the sun. I've tasted every pleasure. I've done everything. I've had every possession, and it's emptiness. He was a miserable man. So he asked for wisdom, and he got wisdom. But I don't believe he got the right kind of wisdom. Now, follow me with this, because this is our title of our series, Walk in Wisdom. And in 2021, we probably need this in the present day as much as any time in history to walk in wisdom, but the right kind of wisdom. Here's our biblical text, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 23. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, everything is yours. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So Paul will do really two things in this section, in this, this brief section of Scripture. He's going to expose the folly of what we call human or worldly wisdom, or the wisdom of this age. And secondly, he will encourage the practice of godly wisdom. And there's a difference. So we're going to look at the contrast between the two kinds of wisdom, the conflict that they have with one another, and then the connection that we have with godly wisdom. So let's look at the contrast. He says in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The wisdom of God, and we think about this in verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, it says, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. Sometimes I'll read a, a, a scripture and I'll think, what did that just say? <laughs> and I don't know if you do that, but many times I'll read that, and, it, and it's so dense, it's so loaded, 
then I need to have someone help me unpack it. And so a lot of times I'll look at various translations and I'll look at commentaries and I'll look things up and, and try to explore the meaning of that. Let me read to you out of the message, which is a paraphrase. It's not a translation of the Bible, but it's a paraphrase. But it, it helps us get our minds around what Paul is saying here. And this kind of backs up to verse 6 to verse 8. He says, we, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm on spiritual ground. But it's not popular wisdom. The fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out his best in us. Long before we ever arrived on the scene, the experts of our day haven't a clue about what his eternal plan is. If they had, they wouldn't have killed the master of the God-designed life on a cross. So I think really what he's explaining is there is a stark difference between the wisdom of God, godly wisdom that is a mystery revealed to us, and the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of this age. <clears throat> so what is worldly wisdom? And I think a lot of times we just think of, of it's, it's a matter of opposites. In other words, if this is God's wisdom, then the opposite is the world's wisdom. And it's not always that way. Sometimes you can, you can say God teaches this in Scripture a certain principle and say, well, the devil's going to teach the exact opposite. But I don't think we really find that here. What happens is, is all wisdom is from God. As we said before, all truth is God's truth. All wisdom is God's wisdom. All real wisdom comes from God. And unbelieving people who don't know God, don't believe in God, never read their Bible, still benefit from what we call common grace of God's wisdom. So we see it in areas of finance and marriage and business. We see it in areas of raising your kids and that sort of thing. I think the difference is, is that the worldly wisdom, God does not factor in it. In other words, you could take 10 top biblical principles about life, marriage, family, business, finance. Write them down. And take them out of context with God. In other words, God's not part of this. And that's really what we call atheism uh, without God. And to be honest with you, it's not just people that don't believe in God that live that way. It's Christians that live this way. In other words, they'll look at their finances and never factor God into it. They'll look at decisions they have to make and never factor God into it. A young lady will start dating a young man and never factor God into it. So you take the principle, but not God. And so it is, it is a worldly, without God type of wisdom. And, and I believe that many, many Christians live this way. We've, we've talked about that, what we, we call a, a more fleshly-oriented life, a without God practical way of living. So 
Godly wisdom is, is when God is in the center of it. Let's, say, let's take the young lady who wants to date a young man. God's in the center of it. What would God say? What does he say? How is God speaking to me? What is God's will? How is he leading me? Not just a pragmatic list that you check off to try to determine a personality matchup or if you're on the same page. And it's like that in every single area of life. Godly wisdom is not wisdom unless God's the center of it. It's where he fits in. So when I think about my experience, and this is just a personal experience, I remember when I was, was years ago, had invited a speaker to come to my church where I was pastoring. And he was probably the best guy in the country speaking on raising kids. And we had a lot of kids in our church, a lot of parents who were just beginning with their families. And, and so we began using his program, and I had him come and speak. We had a large audience come. We got many people enrolled in how to raise your kids. And then I remember having a conversation with him, and he said, you know, I want to branch out to other people and other organizations. And so what they started doing is taking out scripture references or talking about Christ or talking about God to the practical principles because all of the child-rearing ideas are, are biblical principles. But we kind of remove God from the textbook so that it's more palatable and we have a broader reach. And I started seeing this happen, and not, not just with this situation, but I've seen it in addiction recovery groups, I've seen it in marriage conferences, I've seen it in all kinds of things is where you want to kind of not be so upfront about Jesus and not so over the top about the Scripture. But what happens is you eliminate the source of wisdom, the means of wisdom, and the end of wisdom. You you take God out, and so it becomes worldly. And it was of a great concern to me, and I remember having this conversation too about what is our goal? What is our goal here? And he said, well, to have good kids. And And I had kids back then. I thought, that's not my goal. You know, just to have a good kid. You could have a kid that behaves. I want to have a son or a daughter who loves God. Who, who wants to follow God, who, who worships God. I, I don't expect them to be perfect, and they won't always be good. But I want that, them to come in touch with the God that can make that happen. And only God can make it happen through His Son, Jesus, and through the working of the Holy Spirit. So without God, there's no source. Without Christ, there's no ability. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no help. And you only resolve a temporary situation. So you raise up a good kid. They do well in school. They stay out of jail. They're successful in business. They never, they never come to know Jesus. And all is lost. Just like Solomon, all is lost if it's not God-centered. So that's, that's the contrast. The contrast is not just opposites. The contrast is, is that when we seek to have wisdom that is, that is apart from God or doesn't have God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in the center of its source, of its means, and its end. So let's move on to the conflict. 
because the two kinds of wisdom are not just different, they are butting heads. And this is what we're going to face, I think, more and more as, as Christians in the coming days. I really believe that. In chapter 3, verse 19, it says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And then it goes on to say that for the world, you know, they, they see what we're doing, foolishness. God looks at them, foolishness. There's really no middle ground. If you follow in your life the wisdom of God, the world will think you're a fool. Can you live that way? Can I live that way? I'm telling you this, it's not easy because I, I would like to be self-respected. You know, I would like to be uh, acknowledged. I would like, like for people to look at me and think I know what I'm doing, not to think that I'm, I'm crazy, I'm nut, I'm a fool. But I can tell you this, if you believe in God and you follow Jesus and you depend on the Holy Spirit and you follow the wisdom he gives you, the world that is without God is going to think you're a fool. I think that's tough for us because we, we have a type of Christianity today that we want to be palatable. I'm not saying we're not kind and gracious and loving and open to unbelievers. I'm not saying that. But, but we, if we tend to compromise, what is our life? What is our purpose? What are our values? And what are our goals? It is a battle that we face. I think every day we get up, we need to recognize we are at war. We are at war. And from the moment you wake up in the morning, lies are coming directly at you. Lies, 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 lies. Where do they come from? Well, one, they come from Satan. He is going to, to speak lies, many times just twisting truth a little bit, telling you you're of no value, you're of no worth, or telling you lies about what is of value and what is of worth. So you have Satan, who is out to destroy your life. You have the world system, the, the spirit of the age, the cosmos, as the Greeks would call it. And, the, and everything you hear on television, radio, going to the school systems, and is, is just immersed with secular, godless culture. I'm not saying everything. But predominantly, you turn on the television, you watch a movie, you're entertained, you, you walk through town. And so we, we have all around us this pressure. And I think this is why Christians get so stressed today. Satan's speaking lies. They're watching television. They're watching a whole lot more television than they are reading the Scripture. And so <clears throat> you're hearing all this, and what's it? It causing fear and worry and anxiety. You spend very little time in the Word where truth and promises and hope are given. And this is why we, we ended up being just like everybody else. We also have our old nature, our flesh, that, that has just this natural bent to do the wrong thing. You, you think you uh, see it in your kids, as adults, we have the same bent to do the wrong thing, and we're just a little more sophisticated about it. So every day, there's an onslaught of lies that come, and we have to deal with that. And I think this, that the church becomes so influenced that we want to be perceived well, 
And I think we do that. I, I try as best as we can, as I shared earlier uh, before the message, that we want to represent God well to our community. It's not nutcases. We're not crazy. We're doing the right thing. We want to do that. But there are times when if you stand up for what's right, um, you're going to be counted a fool. So what's happening is even within the church, what God hates is being normalized as patterns of the way that we live. And I think that, and I just like to encourage you as a church, we're going to, in, in the coming years, I believe we're going to be coming under more and more pressure to conform and adopt to the world. And we need to be very careful. That's why we come back to being in God's word and seeking him in this way. So what is the point that people need? People need Jesus. The alcoholic, you know, he, yeah, he needs to get over his alcoholism. But most importantly, eternally speaking, he needs Jesus. Or anything out there that seems to be a negative thing, the answer is Jesus is the pathway to God, and God is the God of all wisdom. So lastly, you know, we've, we've kind of gone from contrasting these two, and we see the conflict that ensues, but now the connection. How do we, how do we get connected to wisdom? Because here's, here's what I really want in my own life. I pray for it every single day. Um, I pray this for you, that God would give you wisdom godly wisdom, and that you would be able to impart that to your children, and that your children would grow up and have godly wisdom. And this is why Paul is saying to this church that is in Corinth, they're incredible turmoil and, and conflict, they're just a mess, is all their wisdom is the wisdom of the age. And of course, the Greeks, the philosophy, which means literally the love of wisdom, were all about wisdom. I mean, everything was about wisdom, the Greek philosophy, but it wasn't godly wisdom. It, it was wisdom that had, God had no place in it, and that's where we've come. So it says in, in verse 20, we, we talk about this connection. The Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile, of, of the earthly wisdom. So let no one boast in human leaders or human wisdom, for everything is yours. He says this several times here. Everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life and death, things present or things to come, everything is yours, and you belong to God and Christ. You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So, in other words, you don't need wisdom, you need God. If you have God, you have wisdom and everything else. That's, that's what he's saying. If I have wisdom or anything that's, that's, that I'd like to have apart from God, I have nothing. And this is what Solomon found in Ecclesiastes and expressed in Ecclesiastes. So my, my, the important challenge is not that I get connected with wisdom in general, is that I get connected with God. And if I'm connected with God in a personal, meaningful relationship, that wisdom is going to be flowing into my life. So who are we counting on and depending on? And it seems like he's just kind of throwing this human leaders in here, but this is part of the conversation he began back in chapter 1. 
they were having conflict and say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. In other words, these are parties. I get this a lot of times when, when I'm talking to a guy, he'll say, uh, where'd you go to seminary? Or where did you get your degree? Or they're, they're trying to peg you. They're trying to, what, what camp are you in? Or what, who are you following? Or what, are you a Calvinist? Are you an Arminian? Are you this or that? Probably in every profession, you get people like that. They're trying to peg you. And what he's saying is when you're, when you're a follower of a man, you're in trouble. Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. But you look beyond the man to the Christ. You look beyond the wisdom to the God of all wisdom. You look beyond the knowledge to the God of all knowledge. You look beyond the benefit to the one who gives all benefits. So the key for us is not being related to what God gives, but we related to God because then you have everything. This is what he says. You have everything. You have everything in God through Christ. As a believer, you have all of that. Just uh, this last week, I came across uh, an article and researched it. In fact, the last several days just kind of been brought anxiety to me because apparently, and I, I, I always give the benefit of the doubt, if I hear someone did something, I say, you know what? I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to believe the truth. And so until it's all settled, um, I'm going to do that. But it reminded me of how many Christian leaders have fallen. And it has devastated people, pastors or evangelists or authors or speakers. <clears throat> and this last week I read something and it, it, was, it was someone that I just respected so much and read and listened to. And I don't even know the whole story. And I'm not, that's not really my point in this. But if all of these <clears throat> things going around are true, I think, you know what? Whenever we have our eyes on man, and I, and I would say this, when you have your eyes on me as your pastor or Paul or Mike or Craig, we're human. We're flawed. We're going to fail. And you've got to look beyond human leaders and beyond human institutions and organizations and books and programs and groups and clubs to God, who never fails. And when you have God, you have everything you need, and he will never disappoint. Well, I would say this. In our perspective, sometimes he says, you see, he's not meeting up to expectations, but, but God knows what he's doing. It's just because of my inability to see. I say sometimes God will never let you down, but he'll scare you to death. That's just the, the process of living the Christian life, but God cannot fail. He cannot be unfaithful. He cannot sin. And so when I put my hope in him, it's secure. And he is the God of all wisdom. But my focus and attention and passion needs to be God and all that he is and all that he has through Christ being assisted by the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what it says in Philippians 4, 18 and 19. It's, Paul says, I have all. I have everything that I need. He says, my God shall supply all of your needs 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. It's in conflict, it's at war, and we need to be connected to the source, not just one of the gifts of it. So practically speaking, say, okay, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, that God is the source of all wisdom, then I would say we need to connect to him. The connection needs to be, how do we connect with God? And we've talked about this many times. There are two principal means of grace, the word of God and prayer. Last week, our verse of the week was Matthew 4, 4, and it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? God gives us his word to help us know him and have a connection with him as he speaks to us. And secondly, he gives us prayer for us to be able to speak to him. So this connection provides wisdom, godly wisdom. Our verse for this next week, Monday, will be Matthew 7, 7. And it says, ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. So what God's saying is, you read my words to you, you speak your words to me, I will answer prayer, I will give you wisdom that you need. To me, this is an amazing promise. So we go back to what we started off with. What do you wish for? <laughs> In 2021, I don't know if you have a list or you have <clears throat> a dream or you close your eyes and imagine, what would you wish for? Well, I think that Solomon, you can say, how could it be, be wrong to wish for wisdom? What? And I've often thought this. What else would you have wished for? <laughs> and I probably would say this. I would wish for a heart like my dad. Who was Solomon's dad? David. Now, David was far from perfect. He murdered, committed adultery. He, you know, but here's what God said about him. He said, this is in Acts chapter 13. He says, I have found David to be a man after my own heart, who will do everything I want him to do. That's what I think Solomon should have prayed for, not be the wisest man in the world to have all the wisdom, but to have a heart like his father had, a heart of worship and praise and thanksgiving and communion. Because this is what the psalmist said. He says, and this, is, this I find in um, Psalm 73, I think, verse 25, it says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is nothing on earth that I desire more than thee. And I think when we make that connection, God fills us with wisdom and peace. So here's the takeaway. Finding God in personal relationship, connection, is finding true wisdom. Finding God in personal relationship is finding true wisdom and everything else. Father, we thank you for the gift of wisdom that is found in yourself, made possible through your Son, and each day giving us the ability by your Spirit to feed on that. May we not have your blessings independent of you. May we not just enjoy the gifts without you. May all of our lives be wrapped up 
and knowing you personally and intimately and enjoying all that you give, including your wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.